California. What's up, everybody? It's Tuesday, August 18th, 2020. This is A Talk in the Attic, and I'm your host, Kirk Ross. I understand fully that what I'm about to say puts me at risk of sounding like some sort of corny morning show radio guy, but how about that weather out there, folks? You know what? I can't let myself drift into that how about that weather out there, folks territory. I've got to set a hard boundary against no morning show hijinks. But that doesn't mean that a talk in the edict's resident weatherman, Clark Cloud, can't chime in. How about that weather out there, folks? By Job, it sure is beautiful, isn't it? The kind of day that you just want to, I don't know, call in sick and drink wine in the park. <laughs> I'm bad. Goodness, I hope my boss isn't listening to me. <laughs> Kirk, if you're listening, I'm just kidding. But that said, you were the one who told me in my last annual review that I should try to bring a little more humor into my work, and there you have it. <laughs> Admitting to playing hooky folks live on the radio. <laughs> Maybe my last review was right. Maybe I am in the wrong business. This is Clark Cloud, barely hanging on and about to burst into tears just like a cumulonimbus cloud. Which I often wish I so badly was. Somebody. Anybody help me. This is the only job I can find, but it's such a difficult workplace to be in, if I'm being honest. Sure, Kirk seems positive on the air, but so did Ellen DeGeneres. And there are lemurs up here now. They're vicious little animals, and I'm starting to think they're conspiring against me. Oh, no. They heard me. What'd you say, Cloud? Yeah, weather boy. For a second there, I could have sworn I heard you say the L word. Yeah. And I distinctly remember telling you to stick to guessing if it's going to rain tomorrow and leave the lemur talk to us. Yeah. And if it's lemur talk you want, and since I've got your ear already, <laughs> we, we were wondering, um, <laughs> it's just funny, what he's trying to say is, uh, we were wondering if you could help us prove that Rachel Maddow was controlling weather patterns to keep Republican voters away from the polls. Y'all the most conspiratorial conspiracy of lemurs I've ever met. <laughs> anyway, it's nice out today and it will be for a while. This is Clark Cloud. Back to you, Kirk. Thanks, Clark. Uh, as you know, and as we've discussed numerous times, if you have an issue with how I'm managing you or the team, you can always drop a comment card in the HR box right over there. Yes, right there. Yep, the thing that kind of looks like a trash can. And yes, that we sometimes also use as a trash can. It's a trash can. Yes. The HR drop box is a trash can. Look, you're an at-will employee, Cloud. You're free to find a better gig somewhere else if you can. I mean, it's not as if the entire population can simply look at their phones and get an immediate weather forecast or anything like that. Yeah, well, last time I checked, none of these quote-unquote smartphones psh, have a master's degree in meteorological sciences, do they? I'm so sorry for stepping out of line. I should not have back-talked to you, Mr. Ross. Please, please don't fire me. I need the health insurance because of my claw foot. Well... Claw feet, if I'm being accurate, really, because it's starting to come in on my left side. All right, that's enough, Cloud. I've got a show to do. Oh, my God, I've been recording this whole thing. <laughs> well, thanks for <laughs> great work as always, Clark. Really nice work, pal. See you tomorrow, champ. Hey, folks, I was just giving you a, intentionally a hilarious look at the office hijinks that go on up here in the attic. Clark and I, as you could obviously tell, we're just joking around with each other. That's kind of our relationship. Just a really lighthearted and fun rapport. But look, before we end up with another hot mic situation, 
we need to get into the meat of this episode stat. Clark, lemurs, listeners, say it with me now. Let's start start the show. Swimming in my new life downtown. Now I realize. is actually a great place to work. It's not a toxic environment at all. Besides, I'm the only person up here. And I don't mean to beat a dead horse here regarding Ellen DeGeneres, but it sounds like that might be something she's actually into, beating dead horses. Not actually, but still, turns out she's a jerk. And maybe this should be expected. But it's always shocking and jarring and difficult to see someone's public persona crumble, especially when it reveals the exact opposite character traits of that said persona, as is the case with Ellen DeGeneres. Finding out that America's most lovable talk show host is actually a dick is absurd. Learning that Ellen is mean would be like finding out that this whole time, Dog the Bounty Hunter was actually on the run from the law. I mean, we would have been spared from a lot of episodes, seasons even, if Dog the Bounty Hunter had really just been Dog the Fugitive. First episode, and the cops would have just met him at the address and arrested him. I mean, talk about the worst fugitive ever. Dude's hiding out from the law, so he decides to become a reality TV star? What's next for Dog Chapman, the presidency? But I digress. So yes, Ellen is mean, and that's a tough pill to swallow because... She's always embodied such a positive energy, at least when the cameras were rolling. Her signature dance moves were goofy and quirky and imperfect, but it seemed like she didn't care. And there's something about seeing people unabashedly putting themselves out there that elicits, at least in me, a smile. And likely elicits a smile from even the grumpiest of onlookers. I want to take you back to when Jessica and I reconvened back in August of 2018. So basically... Two years ago to the day. And Jessica and I first danced together that night, and I fell in love with her. With how she danced. Not because it's perfect, it's not. Not because it's safe. I mean, sometimes she throws bows whether your face is in their path or not. But don't get me wrong, Jessica is a great dancer. I love everything about it. But what I love most about it is that Jessica just goes for it. She doesn't care what it looks like, doesn't care if anyone else is dancing, doesn't care the venue. Sure, funerals aren't always the best place to twerk, but so be it. But what it really comes down to, honestly, is that she truly doesn't care what other people think. And when I saw her dancing up close and personally for the first time, it was over for me. Because by not caring about what other people thought, she illuminated in me just how much I did. And when I realized how much I cared about what other people thought of me, I remembered that I didn't always think that way. And before long, at least once in a while, Jessica taught me that I could let go of this concern too. And that made me feel like a kid again. And this is essentially our love story distilled. 
Jessica showed me that not only is it okay to act like a kid, but that it's necessary to do so, at least on occasion. Before we dig in here, let's come to an agreement as to what I mean when I say, quote-unquote, acting like a kid. It doesn't mean throwing a tantrum when things don't go our way, and it doesn't mean that we're relieved of our adult responsibilities. We're not. Unless, of course, we've somehow convinced ourselves that one of our adult responsibilities is that we can no longer act like kids. And for me, that was absolutely what I believed. What I mean by act like kids, of course, is to carve out some space and time for putting aside our fear of failure, to make some time for the aggressive pursuit of a personal interest, and above all, to forget about how others might perceive us while we're chasing whatever it is that moves us. Another quick disclaimer, probably unnecessary even, but for clarity, if your passion is chugging whiskey or crushing whippets or punching babies, then you need to look a little bit further, dig a little deeper, and find out what it really is. But let me turn the tables to you, the listener, when I ask this question. What's something that you, personally, used to love doing as a kid, but that you've since put aside? Maybe it's painting, or singing. Maybe it's tearing apart old motors and then putting them back together. Maybe it's throwing a frisbee around. I don't know, I'm kind of just stalling here so that you, the listener, can reminisce about what gave young you a spark, what made you feel alive. Some of us maybe arrived at our answer immediately. Some of us took a little more time, and some of us are probably still thinking, hmm, what is it that I used to like doing? Which is totally fine. I don't need an answer now anyway, and plus, I can't hear you. But regardless of where you're currently at in this exercise, a few things are certain for all of us. One, we're all a little bit stressed. Two, we could all use a little time away from that stress. And three, I posit that the quickest path to evade stress is to play. No, to play doesn't mean crushing candy or best fiending. That's best friending, but without the R. I mean, it can mean that at times. But in the context of today's show, let's define play a little more specifically. The word is play after all. And that's kind of perfect because to some extent, what I'm suggesting here is theater. And just like stage actors in a play, we adults have to sometimes portray children. And that's not an easy task always, is it? The past six months, in fact, might be a perfect example of a period that has a struggling to pretend to be kids. But throughout this pandemic, I've heard from quite a few different people that I know that their kids are actually adjusting more easily to the current conditions than they are themselves. Parents who are listening right now, is that something that you're seeing as well? And that's not to say that the current circumstances haven't been extremely difficult to the children out there. Certainly not saying that. And in certain cases, it might be worse. But it does kind of make sense that maybe kids are handling things a little bit better in general than adults are right now. They are, after all, kids, which means they're able to act like kids more often than us. For me, with Jessica as my guide, I was able to rediscover my forgotten passion for storytelling by way of this podcast project. Of course, when I was a youngster, podcasts weren't even a thing, but camcorders were. And for me, nothing made me feel more like a superstar than when I was writing or organizing or filming or watching home movies. 
it was certainly amateurish, but think about all that movie making entails. First, I had to imagine a concept or storyline or scene or plot. Then I had to figure out how to translate what I imagined into words. Next, of course, was convincing the default cast that they had to participate. No small feat, that's for sure. And if I was successful in it, then we would get together and shoot as much as we could. Usually, personality conflicts would arise by day two or three of the shoots. Let me rephrase. Even as a kid, I had a very specific vision for what I wanted to create, and no amateur actor, a.k.a. good childhood friend, was going to derail that vision. Oh, I see he's one of those difficult director types, a regular Howard Hughes. Of course, next, the editing process, which is tedious, especially before digital video took over, but editing was super fun, too. Necessary and paramount in order to see my vision through all the way. Then finally... Deciding what music was going to make it, when and where, in the final cut was always a highlight for me, which probably isn't a huge stretch for all you out there, is it? Of course, the real payout was premiering our work to our eager audience, which was almost a carbon copy of the cast and crew. Lots of overlap there. There was something so electrifying to me about converting a fleeting idea for my imagination into a fun project with my friends before ultimately turning out an actual film even if that meant that I may annoy my friends with my occasional domineering and demanding directorial style. Look, our catalog of flicks wouldn't land me on IMDb or anything like that, although you may have heard such classics as The Magic Econoline, the famous reimagining of the Magic School Bus book series that took place in my dad's Ford Econoline in the local Ponderosa restaurant, which included a full-length lip-syncing of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean... What better way to complete a simple 8th grade science class assignment than to work Wayne's World jokes into a movie about the human body? Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see. Interesting sidebar, this particular production, The Magic Econoline, was actually shot by our childhood friend Doug, who has since become an actual film producer. In fact, he'd be a great guest for The Attic someday, wouldn't he? Then, after the hormonal whirlwind that is adolescence halted our filmmaking aspirations for a couple years or so, we came back with an ill-conceived and even more poorly executed movie called The Boys. The production of which got off on a terrible foot when first and only time actor Brian Rio required three hours of outtakes before finally landing his line, Damn, boys! On day one of shooting. This flick included a well-intentioned synchronized swimming routine as well as terrible audio. The production was ultimately cut short by football practice starting up, which led to the now infamous and still off-quoted plea to the cast, we have to finish it this year, guys, otherwise the continuity will be all messed up. If we finish it next summer, we're all going to be so much bigger and tanner. It's going to be so obvious. Bigger and tanner? I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. Clearly, 16-year-old Kirk believed that his next 12 months were destined for increased muscle mass and a well-toned suntan. Unfortunately, though, We never quite got around to finishing up the boys, at least not yet, but there's still time. So if you're listening, gentlemen, let's get the band back together, you damned boys. We've definitely filled out a little bit, sure, so we're definitely bigger, but I, for one, am not Tanner. Quite the opposite, in fact. Then, of course, there's the still-in-circulation Baywatch and Espanol. which was a Spanish class project that included roughly five and a half minutes of butchered conversational Spanish 
sandwiched between a total of 15 minutes of slow motion running, quick pans across the Saginaw Bay and dick jokes. From there, though, we did amp up the production value on the movies. I'm forever grateful, in fact, for the opportunity that was granted to me by my drama teacher, Tom Smith, who allowed me to take over his class, essentially, for the final semester of our senior year, which resulted in a 45-minute film called The Duke, which featured roughly 25 cast members and provided me the opportunity to lead a big cast of, and this is key, captive participants. I mean, what are they going to do, skip school? But what an incredible experience for both me and my drama teacher. For me, a great opportunity to make something real. For Mr. Smith, an even better opportunity to extend his lunch hour by 90 minutes every other day for an entire semester. This particular one, The Duke, was a special one for me. It culminated with a large audience of senior students and school staff watching in a large lecture hall. I'll never forget the collective gasp that came from the staff section of the big premiere when lead character Russell Dickman... Yes, that was really his name. Russell Dickman frantically looked to his on-screen castmates and inquired, What is Poontang? What is Poontang? Sure, it seems inappropriate now, but for context, you should know that Russell Dickman was hiding his true sexuality behind a shield of faux bravado. And his What is Poontang line was meant to show that Dickman's carefully crafted, tuned image of straight machismo was cracking under the sheer terror that the film's villainous werewolf was wreaking on the small community depicted in the movie. I know that kind of sounds like a joke, and it kind of is, but it's also kind of true. Because we were both sophomoric, and genuine in our pursuit of our end goal, a real movie. And in that regard, The Duke was a smash hit. Because a bunch of kids put their minds to it, turned off the what-if-it-doesn't-turn-out voice, and we made it happen. And this, folks, is really what being a kid is all about. And therefore, it's also what acting like a kid is all about. For me personally, I consciously put mothballs on my filmmaking aspirations because I decided to grow up and chase the life that I had convinced myself was what I wanted. And I had a lot of wonderful experiences despite my pausing of this lofty dream. But this podcast project that you're listening to now has allowed me to scratch that filmmaking itch by affording me a chance to take an idea from an abstract seed in my imagination and grow it into a fully finished product. And while I'm still slightly interested in filmmaking, I found that podcasting is a really great alternative. One that is actually possible to do without all of my childhood friends hanging around as captive participants. Either as actors or boom operators or special effects coordinators. So I've modified my childhood interest into something that I can actually pull off as a one-man show. It's the worst kept secret in Hollywood. I, Kirk Ross, am the only cast member of these Tuesday episodes. It's true. I play both Clark, Cloud, and all of the Leapers. So while it would be awesome to see my childhood movie crew get the gang back together, this podcast project instead achieves so much of what made those early childhood memories so special. Because on Tuesdays, I get up in the morning, have some tea or water, and get some inspiration from Jessica for a bit, and then I head up to the attic, where I suspend my disbelief, where I tune out all the little nagging voices, both inside and outside, that might not approve of what I'm about to create, and where I can act like a kid again. And it's an absolute blast to make. 
I hope it's an absolute blast to listen to, too. If this project inspires anything in any of you listening, I hope that it's to work hard at finding a hobby or interest or two that made the child version of you excited and pour yourself back into that whenever you can. Figure out what it was and then do it again without fear of how you look or how you sound. Focus instead on how you feel. I think you'll remember pretty quickly why it moved you in the first place. You'll also learn pretty quickly that you're over it, like, say, rollerblading. If that's the case, then try another one. You'll find it, and you'll love picking it back up. And yes, rollerblading is much more difficult at 35 than it was at 15. Here's the thing. I bet y'all dollars to donuts that if you really commit to being a kid again, even if for only a few moments here and there, then you'll radiate a more youthful and positive energy to those around you. My wife and the love of my life, Jessica, is an attorney, a serious one, and that's what she is most of the time. But on occasion, whenever I see her inner kid shine through, I'm so moved and excited about life because it's contagious. Pardon me for the maybe poor timing in this language choice, but it really is contagious. And this is one thing in the current era that I hope I can spread to you. Peace out, y'all.
Cause 